I do my best when I write about vulnerability, trauma, and deep feelings that we usually don't share. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. Allison Andrews sits on the board of Fashion Week in San Diego, a business she founded and then sold when her newborn son almost died. She stands by Everything Happens for a Reason, and today we talk about how sometimes the most macabre experiences can pave the way for a completely different life. Welcome, Allison. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you and chat with you. I'm very much looking forward to it. When we spoke for the first time, I honestly thought we were going to talk about fashion. And instead, we (laughs) talked about how, you know, just moments into the first blush of motherhood, it was clear your son Bradford was born with a flesh-eating disease of his umbilical cord. How do you you deal with that reality? Um, I still haven't really dealt with it. You know, it's it's surreal and not surreal in the blissful way, surreal in the horrific, terrifying, this is a nightmare way. Um, you, 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 nothing prepares you for it. I mean, truthfully, there's nothing worse than anything that's wrong with your child or your child in any discomfort or pain. It is agony. I mean, it, it's soul crushing in some ways. And, um, you know, I say that he was my guru, like my little angel baby, and I do believe it. He he had a mission and he has a purpose, and he really helped me pivot my life to be where I am today and in, go in the, a totally different direction than I was operating at. And I'm forever grateful for the experience, and I appreciate it. And, you know, I think he's he's well and he's healthy and he's alive, and I'm very appreciative of that. And I think I always hold on dearly to the present and I don't try to revisit the past, but um, those were very, very dark days. They were very dark days. And I know that, you know, we talked about a lot of the details of it in terms of them keeping him in a paralytic state and, you know, that's hard. You know, you have this baby and you want to breastfeed him. And I think you said you did, you know, had to do like yoga, yoga contortions to get that to work. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't get to feed my, my son for almost two and a half months because he was in that paralytic state and he was being fed intravenously um, with just vitamins and minerals in a TP bag is what it's called. Um, and I was just desperate. And when they would allow me to first start feeding him, I had to use like a dropper and I was only allowed to like swab his mouth, like literally just swab it. That's about as good as I could do. And it was important to me to at least maintain that. And um, I'll never forget when they started to bring him out of the paralytic state and I could hold his hand and still still him uh, respond by holding me back. And I think my whole body just, um, fully expanded tenfold when that happened because it was so diminished and so craving of my son. 
Um, it's incredible as women, what we do to crave our babies and hair at seven days old, my baby was ripped from me and I didn't get to hold feed comfort. I just got to stand by and watch essentially. And it was, it, it was an out of body experience, truthfully for me and him. We both, I believe had out of body experiences for that two and a half months. Yeah. It's an ultimate, it's an ultimate surrender and your life definitely had a different level of clarity from that point forth and understanding that your marriage was over. A lot of people would be like, so now might not be the right time. My son has this disease at only two months. I've got another kid on top of this. I have the car, the career, but you decided to go with your heart and leave the marriage. I did. So within like a month and a half, maybe it was two months of getting my son home after him being released and discharged and healthy to come home. Um, and I could do his wound care at the house. I gave myself a moment to get my sea legs under me. And the next immediate thing I did was file for a divorce. And actually, surprisingly, I didn't realize this. Um, I just celebrated one year of filing for divorce yesterday. So oh, it's, um, that's a big it's deal. What you can do in a year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the same people say, Oh, you can change your life. No, no, for real. I, I definitely changed my whole life in one year. <laughs> I, I know because I have been divorced and I remember getting the paper in the mail with the stamp on it. And you're just like, wow, <laughs> it's really it's, real. <laughs> it's really hardcore, you know, right, wrong, indifferent. If you're the one getting served or serving, it's still hardcore. I mean, it's, it's a very, um, it's a really firm moment, moment in time that defines a new life of the unknown. You know, mm -hmm. it stops your current life and pivots you in a way of you're going into something that is unknown and you're recreating this next version or this next chapter of your life. And it is very scary and it can be very thrilling and, and freeing depending on who you are in the situation, but it's huge. It's pretty, it's pretty big. It's, it's big. And, and a lot of people don't want to rock the boat, right? So they stay in the unhappy yeah. marriages. And, you know, one thing we definitely agree on is that we would rather raise our children. I have two daughters and in two happy, healthy homes than stay in one yeah. miserable one. Did you initially see any struggle or kickback from your community when you left? You know, no, honestly, the I think for the last year of our our time together, people saw and just saw how um, I was already mentally and emotionally detached, if that makes sense. Yeah. And people pick that up. You pick up that energy. You can see it. You could cut the, you know, like they say, you come into a room and you could cut the, the energy with a knife. It's so thick and you mm -hmm. can feel it. And um, it was obvious. Um I was, I was very unhappy, I think. And if I look back at photos and different situations, it was very clear. I just hadn't fully embraced that reality and that decision that I needed to make. And my son being born and really quickly throwing me into what really matters in life, you know, life and death situation, I, it became crystal clear what I needed to do and, and ultimately what I needed to do for my kids because life is precious. Life is short. 
as far as we know, you know, we have one go around and I wasn't going to waste my shot. Seriously. I, I wanted to role model to my kids, healthy boundaries and uh, zest for life and taking advantage of life and um, creating a happy, healthy life too for yourself and taking that initiative and not waiting for somebody else to influence it or change it or make it better. But you have to, you know, you have to do it. And sometimes it's hard and rough and terrifying, but, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger as they say. And I knew that I needed to do this, not just for myself, but truthfully for my children. I agree. I agree. And, and, and let's go back to your son for just one minute. You know, he needed full-time care until he was about three. And, and I know that you believe that this was sort of a destined thing for you, but as a businesswoman who had identified with, you know, (laughs) founding companies, um, what was that? Was there any moment, I mean, just really, I mean, honestly, was there any moment that three years where you were like, ooh, you know, I let this go. Should I have let this go? You know, yes and no. It's it's not so defined black and white. It's more gray. And I don't feel like I ever let anything go. That's the interesting thing. I actually see it as I've let it go. Fly higher, if that makes sense. I oh, yeah. I realized that where I was and where I currently am is the plateau. I hit it, and that's okay. I I birthed it, I grew it, I gave it my all. I got it to this point. But if I really believe in it truly, and I want to see it continue to excel and and empower others and grow and continue on the path that I envisioned it, it would be on. It needs to have an outside influence. It has to have somebody come in and take it that next level, that phase two or whatever you want to call it. I did phase one. I did a one hell of a job. But now phase two needs to be done by somebody else. But I will always be the number one cheerleader. I mean, it's in my DNA. It was one of my kids. You know, my businesses are very personal to me. So it's and it's, it's an extension of me um, in some ways. But it isn't me. And that's the difference. Is It's an extension of a product that I was able to do. And the biggest blessing is that it gets to continue on without me. I think the horrific story, and I tell this to some of my clients, is is you create something, you start a business, and the day you decide you can no longer do it for whatever reason, um, it closes, it stops. What a loss. What a true loss, right? That's It's almost on the same scope as like a failure, you know? Not, Not that I like to use that word, but it's right there. The ideal situation is you sell it or it continues on with you. Your kids take it on or whatever, right? It keeps moving even when you don't. It, it does what it's going to do. So for me, I'm I'm very um, happy about it. I'm very appreciative. I, I, I'm embracing this new role of being the supportive cheerleader um, from the sidelines, guiding, giving my two cents and letting somebody else pull their weight and give it their all and put their spin on it. It's actually really neat to see somebody else's perspective on what you've done and how they might do it differently, bigger or better, or change some things that you wouldn't have changed out of just comfort and habit that should have been changed. So no, I I'm enjoying this process. It's, it's along the same lines of everything else I've been going through where it's just line it all up, take a full inventory and a hard look at your life and 
ask for help, relinquish control, and let things just kind of ebb and flow and go with it. <laughs> Don't it, fight it. <laughs> it's a real, it's the noblest way to be a leader. And um, that's oh, what I thanks. hear from you. And, and you know that I think you should write a book about this incredible journey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm absolutely going to help you. And what kind of writer are you? Are you, have you been doing any writing on what's happened for you in the last couple of years? Tell me about what your writing process has been like. Yeah, I'm an emotional writer. So I have to be in a complete space and I like to write at night. I find that when the world is quiet and calm and there's no distractions, that is where my creativity lights up, which is hilarious to me because I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. I like to sleep. (laughs) The sun goes down. I want to go down with it. But lately and through the last couple of years of everything, the nighttime is where I've really started my practice of journaling and writing down things. And I find that I... I do my best when I write about vulnerability, trauma, and deep feelings that we usually don't share. And I think that's because I've been in positions of power and strength and keeping a straight face and having to hold it together for not just my family, myself, my team, my community, whatever it may have been, that I find my writing is the exact opposite. It's very... um, very vulnerable. It's very raw. It's emotional. It's, it's honest in a kind of a gritty way. And that's how I write. That's my favorite kind of writing. So we're, we're, yeah. we're divinely aligned. What are you, <laughs> what are you worried about? Like, what are you, is there anything you're worried about in the writing process? You know, I think I worry about, it's again, that juxtaposition of real life, Facebook, Instagram life, business life, casual life. I, when I write, I was, you know, I come from writing case studies and, and scholarly journals, and I've been active in many of them, even in my career. So I want to write more, uh, in the way of like a scholarly journal or an education piece or something that would position you as an expert or, you know, like a a more industry respected work of art but that's not my best writing. If I'm writing about fashion week or case studies about, you know, international designers or, you know, immigration laws with fashion or whatever. Okay. That's different. But when I write for myself, it's really raw. It's really like having an intimate conversation with me. If we were sitting in my house, having a glass of wine and it's the evening and it's calm and we've just had a great meal together and we finally calmed down and we've dropped all those masks and pretenses of what the night should have been or how we should have acted and we could just be raw, that's where I start when I start writing. We're past the, hi, how are you? This is who I am. Who are you? Okay, we both have impressed each other. Oh, really? You're going to let yourself be a little vulnerable? I go right to the deep end of that pool. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. But the fear is like I write and sometimes I'll put profanity because it's appropriate in that moment. In a scholarly journal, that's absolutely never appropriate. You know, you know what I mean? It, it dumbs it down. But for my writing style, that's where it becomes a little more authentic and raw. So that's that's my biggest fear is that that um, struggle between what I view writers and writing and books to be versus what my style is. Yeah. And people just want you to let your freak flag fly and just be the most authentic one. you, you know, and I was thinking <laughs> about your book and, 
and we're going to end on this point. Um, you know, the, the title Not Scared to Change came up for me when I was thinking about you because, you know, we're supposed to change is something you said to me. I'm getting chills. It was something you said to me when we first talked and you said people are scared, scared of change and they apply a lot of rules to change. What do you think about that? Like, what's that perspective about change? I absolutely love that. And I'm totally taking that now and I'm going to run with it um, because the title of a book has been totally um, eluding me lately. But I love that. But yeah, change is the only thing that's constant in our life. And I think if we can start to embrace change, I mean, look at COVID right now. Look at our everyone's life. Everyone is in a state of forced change. And we can either fight it and struggle and be miserable and depressed and have whatever, whatever, or we can be like, okay, this is an opportunity for growth. Change and challenges equal growth. And if you can have that mindset and you can switch your thinking, it's like um, a veil gets lifted and your life, you actually can start living and enjoying, at least in my experience. Yes. And when I think about the word change, I get, you know, a, a euphoric feeling along with a pit in my stomach kind of simultaneously. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing right now. They know they're on the precipice of something new. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come chat with us here. And I love everything that you're standing for. And I can't wait for you to write the book. Oh, I adore you. Thank you, Kim, for sharing my story. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And a big shout out to our listeners on CastBox, where you can leave a comment and I will personally respond.